Welcome to Sumo Sala Houseman. I'm your host Roshan Maniam. Today we are going to uh, go through a single scenario that is commonly present in your viva. I understand that vivas are something that's extremely stressful throughout the houseman's journey, and more often than not, we tend to uh, screw up because we don't really know what they are expecting, or we go on the wrong tangent. And the reason for why we go on to these long wrong tangents is precisely because we are unsure about our approaches. The fact of the matter is that we have actually seen and managed these patients face to face most of the time. However, we have not organized those actions into the steps that is required in order to pass the particular stations that, especially in uh, whatever that the examiner is expecting. So I came up with this idea just to com- to go through a particular station um, with you in order to better underst- for you to better understand how to manage and to form that framework prior to attending the uh, viva that that is going to happen. Today we are going to talk to you about a two-month-old baby, five kilograms, brought by mother to ED, the emergency department, limb limp and unconscious. A mother was called home uh, by babysitter and you're the MO at the emergency department. So the first question that your examiner would ask is how would you approach this child? Um, so the first thing is you're going to say that you're going to go through the ABCD, right? Or the ABCs. So it's not enough for you to just answer that you want to go through the ABCs. Uh, you have to go through the details as well. Uh, for example, when you're going through the A, uh, airway, you want to look for any obstructions. You want to position the head. You want to suction to clear off any secretions that are there. Sometimes you would also want to intubate in order to secure the airway and for neuroprotection as well. B, you want to look at the breathing, right? So you want to look, uh, look feel and auscultate the chest, you want to see if the chest rise is equal, you want to see if the breathing effort's good, you want to see if there's any recessions, you want to see if there's the respiratory rate is good, and if the breath sounds are equal uh, or throughout the chest. The next thing, you want to look for circulation, right? So you want to see if there's any, um, the CRT is good, the pulse volume is good, the urine output is good, uh, you want to see if there's any reduced perfusion. Um, if you know that the patient is in shock, then you have to think whether or not the patient is in compensated shock or decompensated shock. When the patient is in compensated shock, that means to say the patient is tachycardic but the BP is still maintaining, then you will want to bolus the patient with 10 milligrams per kilogram in one hour and reassess. In decompensated shock, you want to run fast 20 milligrams per kilogram in one hour. And then the child may be stable and that's when the, your examiner will tell you the child is stable I would like, and then what would you do? Then you would say I would like to get further history from the parents, right? Then comes the approach, the history of how you're going to take this history, uh, how you're going to uh, work through the differential diagnosis of an unconscious child. So the way in which you approach this is first you want to know the timing. So you want to know whether it's acute. Acute presentations generally indicate that there's an intracerebral hemorrhage, that there's a non-convulsive seizure, that there's an ischemic stroke 
or there's trauma. If the onset is minutes to hours, then you might want to think about metabolic causes such as hypoglycemia. You want to think of infections. You want to think of progressive injury, especially from trauma. If it takes hours to days, then you want to think about hydrocephalus. You want to think about tumors as well. Next, you want to screen through associated symptoms. So you want to go through and ask if there's any trauma that's happening, if there's any fever, any signs and symptoms of sepsis. You want to see if there's any preceding headaches. Now, this preceding headaches is important because you want to see if there's any increase in ICP. Uh, if there's any preceding drowsiness, for example, you want to see if there's any toxic ingestions or metabolic problems as well. You want to see if there's any loss, ataxia, loss, confusion and loss of milestone which and that of an insidious onset which may indicate neoplasms as well. Now, at this point, you might already have worked up your differential uh, differentials themselves. If the history is suggestive of an infection, then you want to get uh, to get further history regarding sick contact, vaccination status, especially if you want to ask for meningococcal vaccination. You want to know if there's any rashes in particular, if there's a maculopapular rash that will already trigger you to a men- meningococcal septicemia or meningococcal meningitis. You want to also see if there's any neck stiffness. Uh, if you also want to look for any other causes of infections, uh, just because sepsis itself is a cause of reduced GCS, right? On top of that, you want to see if there's any history of recent infections as well. You also would want to think about other infections because sometimes uh, certain diseases such as uh, certain microorganisms such as E. coli may cause HUS. And in HUS or TTP, you may also get neurological sequelae as well. If the history uh, ex, uh, if the history sh- uh, is indicative of a trauma, you may also want to look for any ENT bleed. Um, you may also want to know the, whether there's any uh, bruises that can be seen, any other bruises that can be seen as well. If you think it is hydrocephalus, you want to see, you want to ask them if there's any enlarging heads, uh, if the head is enlarging over the period of time that the patient is unconscious or if the, uh, prior to the patient being unconscious. If there's any seizures, you want to know whether there's any prior episodes, whether it was a witness seizure. You want to ascertain whether there's a pre, post, uh, sorry, if there's a pre-ictal stage, an ictal state, and a post-ictal state uh, as well. If there's any ingestions, then you want to ask if there's any witnesses to them taking any medications, if there are any pills lying around them, or if there's any toxidromes that you can see. In particular, the few toxidromes uh, that you may actually encounter is whether there's any cholinergic toxidrome. So in cholinergic toxidrome, you get salivation, lacrimation, urination, diarrhea, and emesis. In, like, if you ingest a lot of opioids, what you get is bradycardia, bradypnea, as well as hypotension. If there's uh, anticholinergic ingestion, then you get hyperthermia, agitated, you may be agitated, there's amidriasis and skin, dry skin as well. However, the, the anticholinergies generally don't cause uh, reduced consciousness. The child won't be unconscious because of that. On top of that, if there is a malignancy or if you suspect a malignancy, you might also want to ask constitutional symptoms such as uh, loss of weight, loss of appetite, 
um, as well. Uh, you may also want to ask for early morning headaches and any focal neurological deficits as well prior to the loss of consciousness or during uh, yeah prior to be losing consciousness as well next comes the past medical history so in the past medical history you want to see if there's any cns lesions you want to see if there's a previous history of epilepsy you want to see if there's any immunocompromised states which may predispose you to certain diseases uh, such as toxoplasmosis uh, such as con- uh, such as herpes simplex encephalitis and stuff like that you may also want to get birth history as well um, in order to see the risk of the baby, uh, of the child being unconscious, you want to know if there's any asphyxia at birth. You want to know if there's any recurrent hypoglycemia, which may indicate that there is uh, there is some inborn errors of metabolism that you may have to address as well. Now, stuff that you shouldn't forget in the history is the development history, because you want to look for any delay or regression of that uh, of the baby's uh, of the baby itself. Now, you want to rule out a few things. You want to rule out metabolic disorders. You want to also rule out cardio disorder, uh, cardiac causes and also any uh, hypoxia and uremic, hepatic encephalopathy. These things you can go through in a breeze. The thing, the aspect of the history that you have to pay a lot of attention to, especially in a child who is unconscious, especially when the child is having trauma, is a social history because you want to rule out non-accidental injury as well in the history taking next in the scenario your examiner might tell you that the the babysitter is told the babysitter according to the babysitter that the child initially was well and then after feeding the child was sleeping and then suddenly the child was having abnormal movement over the left hand side then became unconscious at this point of time what is your differential diagnosis so your differential diagnosis can be broad, but of course, you have to arrange the differential diagnosis according to what is most likely given the scenario. You have a babysitter who's taking care of a child and had rang up the mother, right? So, and the mother had came and brought the child to you. Babysitter is not with the mother. So, you may want to find out if there's any trauma. You want your differential is probably that the baby has a traumatic brain injury. You, the baby may have a seizure, afibrile seizure. Your baby may have epilepsy, aspiration pneumonia, meningitis. They may have a SDH secondary to trauma, space occupying lesions, and electrolyte imbalance as well. The question after that is how do you assess your child? Um, so in this child, the scenario that they gave was the child was already intubated, right? So on your assessment, you go for your general assessment first. You may say that the child is already intubated. The GCS is such and uh, the GCS is uh, three, uh, sorry, uh, three because the child is sedated and also ventilated. The anterior fontanelle, whether the anterior fontanelle is budgy, bulging or tense. Uh, you need to also mention uh, <coughs> you may also say that you want to plot the, the head circumference on a growth chart as well you also want to look for any pupil reactivity any retinal hemorrhage any response to light in particular when you want to assess the, 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 neurolog- the neurology of the child you can actually use GCS 
in order to state whether the child is conscious or not, or AVPU. Um, our strategy is always to use AVPU because it's easier for you to quantify and it's easier for you to memorize as well. Next, you want to check the hydration status. You want to check the perfusion again. Uh, you want to also check if there's any evidence of trauma elsewhere. So you want to check for bruises elsewhere. You want to check for injuries elsewhere. Any unstable joints that may indicate that there, that there may be a non-accidental injury. You may also want to conduct a neurological examination, full one, and also uh, a systemic examination, checking the lungs, the heart, the abdomen uh, as well. The, uh, the scenario then changes, right? The, the examiner will tell you the anterior fontanelle is bulging, it is tense, there is bruises over the right frontal region. Um, and also you note that the, the tone is hypotonic, the reflexes are brisk and the others are normal. Then they may ask you, what is your likely diagnosis? At this time, you may say that the, the probable diagnosis for this patient is a traumatic brain injury secondary to uh, non-accidental injury. And then this, uh, the question that you ask is, what investigations would you like to do? Um, first, the blood investigation. So you would say that you want to take a FBC because you want to suspect you, su- you suspect the hemoglobin to be low because there's acute bleeding um, you want to see if there's any low platelets because that may indicate bleeding tendencies you want to look for a white cell count because you still can't rule out infections as well you would also want to take uh, renal profile and electrolytes to look for any electrolyte imbalance just to rule out any electrolyte uh, abnormalities you may also want to take a coagulation profile because you want to look for prolonged PT, APTT and prolonged INR just to see if there's any risk of bleeding prior to the episode of trauma or any risk of bleeding in of itself. You would also want to take a DXT uh, because you want to hypoglycemia is also a cause of reduced unconscious child as well. Next comes the radiology. So the first thing you want to say is that you do a bedside ultrasound. Note that the child is a young child. He is uh, two months old, so the fontanelle is not closed. So it is you are still able to visualize the intracranial structure through the anterior fontanelle. Next, you would also want to proceed with a CT brain for further assessments to look for any evidence of bleeding, pathology or any abnormalities. Lastly, you would also want to do a skeletal survey as well. You want to look for other injuries and other fractures all over the body. The scenario would then close by saying that the CT brain shows a large subdural hematoma or the frontal with a midline shift. And then what is your next step? So the, the fact of the matter is that there's an intracranial hemorrhage and there's a midline shift. So, and it's a, it's the intracranial hemorrhage is actually a large subdural hematoma. So, your answer should be, I uh, refer to neurologic, neurosurgical pediatrics uh, uh, to consider doing a subdural drainage as well. Uh, if the facilities exist, I would do a subdural drainage earlier. Uh, but also, I would like to re- lodge a police report, I'll refer to the, the social worker and also refer to the scan team as well. Um, in 
our hospital in Serdang Hospital we have something called a scan team so that team is the team that handles any abuses and any neglect that involves children as well now the before ending uh, they they may actually proceed and prolong the 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 scenario uh, they may ask you that the child may actually develop uh, seizure while the child is in ED so what is your next step um, you may say that you try to stop the seizures first so how they may actually go through the algorithm so first line is you give like rectal diazepam uh, the second thing is that the, you may actually if the seizure continues then you may give IV diazepam uh, 0.2 milligrams per kilogram slow bolus then if the seizure is still persistent um, and you suspect status epilepticus uh, you may actually give IV phenytoin 20 milligrams per kilogram or slow infusion in 30 minutes with a cardiac monitor of course because you want to prevent you want to just monitor for any arrhythmias as well and then if your examiner is uh, quite um, difficult or, or if your examiner really wants to pick your brain then they may say that the seizure is still persisting by which time you have to say that you may go on to the second line uh i uh, second line uh, medications which is iv midazolam or iv phenobarbitone iv capra or iv sodium valproate and then if the scenario if the seizure still persists after that then you proceed for intubation to induce coma as well at this time your scenario might just end as at that point of time i am sorry to announce that i have not been posting regularly um the fact is that the posting has been quite tough on me um i've not had the motivation to actually um go through and produce more episodes because number one time constraint number two is that if your posting is extremely difficult you tend to just concentrate on your posting you may not really have time to um do other things that you may like because you're trying your best to perform in your department uh every day um and also trying to get through the department as fast as possible um these are trying times that tend to happen throughout housemanship and i think that we just have to steel ourselves forward in order to move forward and try our best to get through the posting no matter what difficulty that arises um i think that it takes a good support structure for you to get through a posting and of course please look out for your friends look out for your colleagues um try to help each other as much as possible because that's the only way we can go through this entire housemanship thank you